One missing child is one too many, but sadly we live in a world where children go missing every day. Most of them are found very quickly and unharmed, but the longer a person stays missing, the worse the outcome is likely to be. In 1989, in New York City, three African-American toddlers were kidnapped and one of their mothers was murdered. Let's uncover the disappearances of Shane Walker, Christopher Dansby, Andre Bryant, the murder of Andre's mother Monique Riviera, and examine if these cases are connected. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Uncovered True Crime Podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from missing persons, unsolved disappearances, John and Jane Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can now listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Castbox. And if you like the podcast, please share on your social media so we can raise more awareness to these cases. You can follow me over on Twitter at uncover underscore pod. I am also on Instagram at uncover true crime pod. Now, without any further ado, let's get on into covering these three cases. I'm going to start with the disappearance of Christopher Dansby. Christopher Dansby, nicknamed Choo Choo by his brother Levon, was born on the 30th of March 1987. His mother Alison had battled with substance abuse during her life, but had worked hard to stay clean for Andre and his brother. They lived in the Martin Luther King Tower housing project in Harlem, New York, and on the 18th of May 1989, Alison took her sons to a playground close to the project along with the children's grandmother. At 7pm, Alison realised she had to pick up a few things from the shop. Not wanting to run back to the apartment to grab his pram, and likely realising she'd be quicker going alone, Alison asked Christopher's grandmother to watch the boys as she went. She agreed, and Christopher, Levon, a 10-year-old girl and her 5-year-old brother were last seen playing with a red ball in the playground, but by the time Alison returned, Christopher was gone. She frantically searched the park, but with no success, so she called the police. She gave them Christopher's description. An African-American boy, two months away from celebrating his second birthday. He was two foot six inches tall, 30 pounds, and was wearing a blue jacket, a floral print shirt, blue jeans, and white and green sneakers. Christopher had a birthmark shaped like the figure eight on his back, and a burn scar on his thigh. Recalling his brother's disappearance, Levon stated, quote, We was playing and Choo Choo got lost. I didn't see him. I called my mummy. If someone has him, if they see that he's Choo Choo, they can bring him to my house with my name on him. Unquote. The police spoke to the two siblings seen playing with Levon and Christopher before he disappeared, but they claimed not to have seen Christopher leave the park. While another child claimed to see Christopher walking down 111th Street adjacent from the park with an African-American man aged between 25 to 30 years old, he was described as being 6 foot tall, thin and having dreadlocked hair. Police initially suspected Christopher's mother Alison of being involved in his disappearance or that at least her drug use and possible debts was a motive to the kidnapping. Responding to this allegation, Alison said, quote, they said a lot of mean things, that I was buying crack when my baby was taken and that I traded my baby for drugs. They're all lies. 
I've done crack almost five years in and out, but I've never owed anybody money. I passed a lie detector test." Unquote. It appears as though Allison has been ruled out as a suspect and no others have been publicly identified. This would not be the only tragedy to hit this housing project, as three months later, in the same park, another African-American child vanished. Shane Walker was born on the 7th of December 1987 and was Rosa Glover's only child. On the 10th of August 1989, Rosa and Shane made their way from their apartment in Martin Luther King Tower Project to the nearby park. At the time, Shane was wearing a blue and white shirt, blue trousers and LA gear sneakers. His hair was braided and in a ponytail and he had a small scar under his chin. He stood at 3 foot tall and weighed 23 pounds and was only 19 months old. At the park, two children asked Rosa if they could play with Shane, and initially Rosa found this weird as Shane was a lot younger than the two kids, but likely thinking nothing more of it, she agreed. Rosa sat on a bench watching Shane play with the pair when an unfamiliar man sat beside her and started engaging in conversation. He showed her scars on his body and made comments on children going missing in the area and how unsafe it was. Rosa was distracted by the man for a couple of minutes and when she drew her attention back to the park, Shane was gone. During her search for Shane, she saw the two children who had previously been playing with him re-entering the park through a hole in the fence. She asked the pair where Shane was and they claimed to have left him in the park, a story they repeated to police. Investigators also interviewed the man who had spoken to Rosa before Shane went missing and he said he hadn't seen anything either. After talking to other people who had been in the park at the time of the disappearance, police announced that they were looking for an African-American male in connection with his disappearance. He was aged between 19 to 24 years old, was around 5 foot 8 inches tall and was wearing a yellow shirt and acid washed jeans. Police questioned Rosa at length because they wanted to know why she'd taken a life insurance policy out on Shane just before his disappearance. Rosa claimed that on the lead-up to a recent holiday she'd taken with Shane to Florida, she became increasingly anxious about the plane crashing and that is why she'd taken out the policy. However, I couldn't find any information on whether she'd taken a policy out on herself as well. She apparently tried to cash in the policy seven weeks after Shane was missing, but without a death certificate, they wouldn't pay out. In 1997, a judge awarded her the full sum of the policy, which was $10,000 stating that not only was Shane dead, but it was unlikely he would be found. Rosa still clings on to hope that this is not the case, however, stating, quote, I just hope and pray that one day I see him. I want to give him a hug and kiss and we'd go somewhere, to Florida, wherever, just to get away, just to be with him, unquote. As I'm sure you've noticed, there are several similarities between Shane and Christopher's disappearances. The fact that they lived in the same apartment block and were last seen at the same park is probably the most obvious, so let's start there. I found most of the following information from a New York Post article published about the area in 1991. Built in 1951, the Martin Luther King Jr. Towers was originally called Foster Homes, but changed its name in 1968 when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Residents petitioned for the change, not only to honour the civil rights activist, but also to reflect the fact that most of the residents were African American. 
often referred to as King Towers, they spanned three city blocks and consisted of ten apartment buildings, each 14 storeys high and in total housed over 3,000 people. King Towers is surrounded by greenery and playgrounds, seemingly ideal for children, but residents tell another story. One woman who lived there told the New York Post that, quote, if you're going to ride the elevators alone at night, you better go with Jesus, unquote. Lena Everett, whose grandson had witnessed his friend being murdered by an armed robber in a nearby street of Lenox Avenue, stated, quote, The streets around here have gone crazy. There are so many guns around and now they're killing for fun, unquote. William Cornblun, a professor at the City University Graduate Centre, conducted studies in three apartment blocks, including the King Towers, and he stated, quote, What's wrong with the King Towers has to do with the decline of the social environment of the city and the society. There has been an enormous erosion of opportunities for people who are on the lower end of the scale. We have faltered in our commitment to create communities where everyone gets a share of the good life. End quote. The number of major crimes in the King Towers per every 10,000 residents is actually less than that of a similar estate in central Harlem. However, many blame the area as opposed to the King Towers themselves. When a police officer attended one of the tenants' meetings and stated that the crime rate had gone down, residents rebutted this, stating that it wasn't that crime had reduced, it was that people weren't reporting out of fear. Some residents were even concerned about a proposal made by the Housing Association to fit new, larger mailboxes as they feared it would give a mugger a start place to hide and wait for an unsuspecting victim. While it is possible that the kidnapper or kidnappers in Shane and Christopher's case may have been King Tower residents who targeted that park specifically, or whether this is a total coincidence, the similarities between these cases gets even stranger. Both children were around the same age, and I personally see a strong resemblance between the two. They went missing three months apart under very similar circumstances. Both disappearances happened on a Thursday, around the same time of day, between 5pm and 7pm. Admittedly, I found this particular similarity a bit of a stretch, and this easily could have been a coincidence, but I wanted to include it anyway. The strangest similarity, in my opinion, is that the 10-year-old girl and her 5-year-old brother seen playing with Christopher were the same two children seen playing with Shane just before he disappeared. A very odd parallel that senior case manager Ron Jones, who works for the National Centre of Missing and Exploited Children, described as being, quote, a hell of a coincidence, unquote. Both children were interviewed and claims to have seen nothing, and police did follow up with the children's parents. One officer working the case stated, quote, We've investigated the backgrounds of their parents thoroughly and there is no reason to believe they are involved in this conspiracy, unquote. I am by no means suggesting that these two children hurt Christopher or Shane themselves, but what if they were used to lure the children to the edge of the park where an adult could have picked them up over the fence and kidnapped them that way? This would be a very devious way for a kidnapper to abduct a child, as no one would think twice about seeing three children playing and walking around the park together. An adult going into a park and walking off with a child, however, would have gathered a lot more attention. Police initially refuted any theory that the two cases were connected, as the descriptions of the male suspects seen at both scenes were different. 
The man described in Christopher's case was said to be older and taller than the man seen around the park when Shane went missing. However, this doesn't mean they aren't related. Eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable and it would be easy to underestimate someone's height and age, especially if you weren't seeing them close up. Also, in all reports I was able to find, it only mentioned a child seeing a man walking off of Christopher. I couldn't see anywhere that an adult had also gave the same account. I'm not saying that this child didn't see Christopher walk off with a man, but a child's description of a stranger seems a lot less reliable on its own. Eventually, police did connect the dots between the two cases and they put a lot of manpower into finding the children. 1,800 apartments in the same block of King Towers where the boys lived were searched with sniffer dogs, but no trace of them was found. Police patrolled the area, dozens of missing persons posters were plastered over Harlem, and a sound truck drove around the area giving details of the disappearances to raise exposure to the cases and a $30,000 reward for information leading to the boys was offered, but from what I've been able to see, this reward now stands at $2,500. Police questioned all known sex offenders in the area and followed up on over 500 sightings, but still, no sight of the boys. There are a few popular theories as to what happened to Christopher and Shane. The most common is that they were both abducted and trafficked, possibly into a black market adoption ring. Another sad possibility in this case is that the children were trafficked and sold into some sort of paedophile ring. It's an awful thing to think about, but it is a real possibility in this case, although I really hope and pray that this is not what befell the boys. While it is possible the boys' disappearances are not related, Given the amount of similarities between the two, I personally find this unlikely, although it is a theory so I thought I'd mention it anyway. Many believe that Shane and Christopher's cases are also connected to the disappearance of Andre Bryant, who went missing in March 1989. His mother was killed during the abduction and now I'm going to discuss their case. Monique Rivera and her partner Timothy Bryant welcomed their third son Andre into the world on the 17th of February 1989. They had two other children, Timothy aged 7 and Thomas aged 5. On 28th of March 1989, Monique met two women while she was out for a walk with her children. The women seemed to take a particular interest in Andre and asked to hold him on several occasions. Monique ended up going shopping with the two women and on her return she showed Timothy a pair of gold slacks and a black blouse she'd bought with them at a shop called Canadians. She told him that the women had used a fraudulent credit card to buy the items and although Timothy disapproved of this, Monique had already made plans to meet them the next day to go shopping in White Plains. Monique's sister-in-law Patricia came over to the house the next day, which was the 29th of March 1989, in order to look after the children so Monique could enjoy the shopping trip. Monique never mentioned the women's names, but did say that she'd gone to middle school with one of the women. Monique received a phone call from the woman, who asked them to meet her round the corner, and insisted that she bring Andre with her. Monique agreed and left the house with Andre at around 2pm. She was seen getting into either a 1988 or a 1989 Burgundy Pontiac Grand AM Sports Edition with tinted windows and possibly Maryland license plates. Both women were African American and around 5 foot 7. One of the women was described as being around 30 years old and heavy set and the other was around 22 years old and had long red hair. Sadly, 
these are the last two people known to see Andre and Monique alive. When they didn't arrive home that day, Timothy reported his partner and son missing, but it wasn't until he put a notice in the local newspaper that police connected Monique's disappearance to a body that had been found in the woods by the East Chester Bay near City Island Road in the Bronx, 19 miles away from their home. She had been strangled and suffered a blow to the head. Police searched a large body of water at the bay, but Andre was nowhere to be seen. A special hotline was set up just to receive tips on this case, but he is still missing and there has been no leads publicly announced since. It is understandable why people have speculated that Andre's disappearance and Monique's murder are linked to Shane and Christopher's case. Again, all black children who went missing within a matter of months. However, Andre's case doesn't appear to have as many similarities. The circumstances are different and he was last seen in Brooklyn as opposed to Harlem. Andre is much younger than the other two boys and in Christopher and Shane's disappearances, they're looking for male suspects, not women. Although, if all three are victims of human or sex trafficking, these rings often consist of many people, both men and women. Andre's family don't seem to buy into this theory that all cases are connected and they think that Monique's murder and Andre's disappearance was personal. Simone, Monique's sister, commented, quote, I think it's something personal. They know us. It's no stranger. Unquote. Monique did claim to have known one of the women from middle school, but I think it's interesting that she never mentioned their names. I just think if you were talking to your family or a friend about two women that you'd just met and were planning on meeting again the next day, it would just make sense you would mention their names. This is total speculation, but what if the two women were known to Monique and her family? And because she knew her family wouldn't want her hanging out with these women, Monique made up the story about randomly meeting them on a walk with her kids. If the two women were unknown to her prior to the 28th of March, it appears to be a crime of opportunity and the two women were just looking to approach any mother and their newborn and just so happened to meet Monique and Andre. Monique would have to be very trusting of strangers to agree to go shopping with two women she barely knew and I don't think there are a lot of people who would have been this trusting. I know it was the 80s and we're a lot more vigilant now than people maybe were back then, but I still don't think many people would be this trusting, which is why I'm leading towards the theory that she knew them better than she let on. There have been very few follow-up articles on this case, although any that have been published have not provided any new details. In 1987, a newborn called Carlina White was abducted from a hospital when she was 17 days old. 24 years later, she was reunited with her parents and this story gave Timothy hope that one day he would also be reunited with his son. Upon hearing the story, he called Rosemary, Monique's mum, to tell her about the case and she said, quote, It's a miracle. If only a miracle could happen to us too. Unquote. Thomas, who was a young child when his brother disappeared, said, quote, I would like to know what he's doing with himself. I basically would like him to know he has an actual family. And you know, I would like to see him. See what kind of man he's developed into. See where life took him. Unquote. Here is a quick reminder of the vital statistics in the three boys' disappearances. Andre Bryant was six weeks old when he was last seen on the 29th of March 1989. Him and his mother, who was later found deceased, were seen entering in 1988 or 1989 Burgundy Pontiac Grand AM Sports Edition 
with tinted windows and possibly Maryland license plates. One of the women in the car were described as being around 30 years old and heavy set, and the other was approximately 22 years old and had long red hair. Both were described as being around 5 foot 7. Andre was last seen wearing a grey suit with two horizontal red stripes, a beige knitted hat and sweater and white socks. He was only 48 centimetres long and weighed 10 pounds. If he was still alive today, he would be 30 years old at the time of this recording, and a composite sketch is available showing what he might have looked like at age 28. Christopher Dansby went missing from a playground next to the Martin Luther King Jr. housing project in Harlem, New York on the 18th of May 1989. He was two years old and would be 32 if alive today. Police are looking to identify an African-American male seen in the vicinity of the park when Christopher went missing. He is described as being 25 to 30 years old, 6 foot tall, thin and having dreadlocked hair. There is an age progression photo showing what he might look like age 26. Christopher was 2 foot 6 inches tall, weighed 30 pounds and when he disappeared he was wearing a blue jacket, a floral print shirt, blue jeans and green and white sneakers. Christopher has a birthmark shaped like the figure 8 on his back and a burn scar on his thigh. Shane Walker was last seen on the 10th of August 1989 when he was 19 months old. He disappeared from the same play park Christopher Dansby went missing from near the Martin Luther King Tower projects in Harlem, New York. He was wearing a blue and white shirt, blue trousers and white LA gear sneakers. His hair was braided and in a ponytail. He had a small scar under his chin, stood at 3 foot tall and weighed 23 pounds. Police would like to identify an African American male thought to be seen walking down 111th Street with Christopher around 7pm the day he disappeared. The man was between 19 to 24 years old, stood at 5 foot 8 inches tall and was wearing a yellow shirt and acid washed jeans. There is an age progression photo showing what he might look like age 28 and if still alive at the time of this recording, he would be 32 years old. If you have any information on Shane, Christopher, Andre or Monique's case, please contact the New York City Police Department Missing Persons Unit at 1212-694-7781. For all sources and pictures relating to this case, please visit www.uncoveredtruecrime.blogspot.com Please share this episode on your social media so we can raise awareness to these cases together. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at uncover underscore pod and I'm on Instagram at uncovered true crime pod. That is all for this episode. Please come back next week where we uncover yet another unsolved true crime case. Thank you and good night.